Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. For those I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. And we have been in a series called Greater Than, where we've been walking through the book of Hebrews, and we see kind of the underlying theme in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater than. We're going to continue in that series today, and before we dive in full to that, I want to talk about the year 2000. No, I'm not about to sing a Jonas Brothers song, everybody. Some of y'all got that. Some of y'all are like, what's the Jonas Brother? It's fine. Um, year 2000 was a hard year for me. It was the year that my parents got divorced. It was also the year where my health changed forever. Um, growing up until that point, I was almost 19 years old, and I um, was always pretty healthy, pretty strong, all the things. And I found myself in the spring of 2000 starting to lose weight. And when I say I'm st- I started to lose weight, like 10 pounds a week lose weight, which at first I wasn't mad about because everybody could lose a couple pounds, you know what I mean? But then it got to a place where I was thirsty all the time. I was using the restroom all the time. I found myself being sick. My stomach was not feeling well, and I remember just being sick all the time. And so I heard that when you are getting rid of a lot of electrolytes and a lot of, a lot of things, that you got to stay hydrated. And so for me, to stay hydrated, I remember I always had some Powerade on tap. Because I needed it and I wanted it and I was so thirsty. And when I say I was thirsty, I would wake up about four or five times in the middle of the night and go to the fridge and drink some Powerade. Well, it turns out I continued to get sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And then finally I got to a point where I couldn't walk up the steps in my house. And my mom came to me and she said, baby, I think you're sick. And I said, mama, you're right. And so we went to the emergency room, and when we got into the emergency room, which is interesting, those in the medical field, it's always interesting to me, when you go to the emergency room, you have to tell them your life story first. Like, hey, my arm fell off. Okay, tell me your insurance. I'm bleeding out. You're going to be okay. Give me your name. And so it's always interesting. So I was going through all the things, and, and then I did something that I had never really done before. I passed out. And my mom said it was like a scene from ER. For those who don't know anything about ER, George Clooney, it was great. But anyways, and she said they took me back, and then about three days later, I woke up in the ICU. And the first thing I remember was the the doctor saying to me, Mr. Person, Mr. Person, you are very sick. Which I realized that because I recognized I had on a hospital gown, and I was in a room with a glass wall. And I was like, oh, I am sick. She says, Mr. Person, you are type 1 diabetic. And she said, your blood sugar is supposed to be between 80 and 130. Yours is the highest I've ever seen or ever heard of because most people with your blood sugar level are not alive. She said, your blood sugar level was 2,400. Yeah, I know, right? And she said, so you are very sick. And what's interesting, you might be going, why are you telling us that story? Why did you tell us about Powerade? Because I was running to Powerade to quench my thirst. I kept going to it. I kept going to it. I kept going to it because I wanted my thirst to be quenched and I wanted to be satisfied. But here was the thing. The thing I was running to was actually killing me. The thing I ran to to quench my thirst. For one, it never quenched my thirst. And for two, it cost me more than I ever thought. And no, I'm not saying Powerade is bad, but I'm saying in that situation, in that time, this was not 
what was best for me. It never satisfied me, and it ended up costing me, almost costing me my life. And as I think about me running to that and running to that and trying to be satisfied but not ever being satisfied, it reminds me of the way that a lot of us live our lives. See, we run to that thing that we think will satisfy us. We run to that thing that we're hoping will satisfy. We're running to that thing, and in the back of our minds, we know this is probably not going to satisfy, but I'm going to keep running to it and running to it and running to it. And yet we find that it will never satisfy. See, we as a people are prone to quench our thirst with something that will never satisfy. For me and diabetes, it was Powerade. For you, it may be a job. For you, it might be a relationship. For you, it might be that secret sin that no one knows about, and you keep running to it, and you keep running to it, and yet you keep running to it even though it's not ever going to satisfy you. But yet, you keep running. Here is the truth. Jesus is far greater than anything that we may try to quench our thirst with. Let me say that again. Jesus is far greater than anything that we will ever try to quench our thirst with. Jesus is the only thing that will truly satisfy. And let me just tell you something. That's not just something I heard. That's not just something I read. That is something that I'm experiencing and I'm living every single day, that Jesus really does satisfy. And Jesus has a conversation as he's walking and doing ministry for three years publicly. He has this conversation with a Samaritan woman, which is crazy that he had a conversation with a Samaritan woman, which is a, which is a sermon for another day. But Jesus is on his journey, and he goes to this well so that he can be satisfied and his thirst can be quenched. And this lady, this Samaritan woman, has run to all kinds of things to try to satisfy her, but she is still not satisfied. And Jesus is going to point her to the thing and the only thing that can satisfy her. And this is found in John chapter 4, verse number 10. It says this, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Living water sounds good, doesn't it? A water that sustains you, a water that is going back to the essence of who you are, a water that is continually giving you everything you need. And Jesus goes, if you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The living water of the king truly satisfies. See, I brought this bottle of water out because this water is really the essence of who we are. We're made up the majority of water. I don't know if you knew that. Some of y'all are like, boom, you're so smart. No, nah, I just Google really well. But he says this living water is giving you the essence of what you were and what you were created and intended to be. So the reason I satisfy is because I'm giving you the very thing that you long for. And the living water satisfies. Water is good for your muscles. Water really refreshes. Water is getting back to the essence of who you are. And Jesus is going, I am the only thing that can satisfy you. But yet, if you're anything like me, 
we like to challenge the king, don't we? Well, we'll see. That sounds great. But let me go down all the other avenues and paths to see if there's just something else that can satisfy and that's greater than. See, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, and the writer of Hebrews is going to compare Moses and Jesus. And you might go, what does that have to do with satisfaction? It has everything to do with satisfaction. Because the writer of Hebrews is not talking down about Moses. No, he wants, they want to elevate Moses. They want to make sure we know that Moses was being used by the king in great, great ways. But the writer of Hebrews really wants to elevate Jesus. It's not a devaluing Moses, it's an elevation of the king. And so the Israelites had this beautiful glimpse of the king through Moses, but yet they still ran down other paths for satisfaction. And they learned, as we learn, that nothing satisfies us like Jesus. My prayer for us over the next few moments is this, is that we will see that the king truly is greater than and that the king is the only thing that truly can satisfy And that maybe just maybe for some of us in this place or those watching online, we will see for the first time that maybe what I've been trying to satisfy my thirst with is costing me my life. And maybe today is the day that I drink for the first time or be reminded of the well of Jesus that satisfies. So as you sit, as you listen, let us pray together. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer is over the next few moments that distractions will be removed, that our hearts will be open, and that our walls will be down to receive a word from you. Father, I pray that anything that is of me falls away, but all that is of you, may it take root, may it prosper, may it grow, and may it lead to us walking out differently than we walked in. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. If you're just joining us for this series, we have said before that Jesus is greater than, and we see that through the pages of Hebrews. Week one, we talked about Jesus being greater than, and because he is greater than, we are better than. Last week, we talked about how growth takes effort and energy. It's easy to drift. It's easy to get off course, but it takes intentionality to fix our eyes on the king and keep walking towards him. And this week, we're going to see that Jesus truly is greater than Moses and he truly satisfies. So Hebrews chapter three, verse one, y'all ready? Y'all better get ready. Here we go. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Let's pause for a second. We've talked before, when you see a therefore, you have to see what it's there for. So it's easy to just pass and be like, therefore, I don't know what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, but let's just keep going. No, we have to remember what the there is there for. And so right above it, it says this, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
The writer of Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus is the only one that could truly satisfy through the perfect life he lived, his surrendering of his life on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. And so because of that, we fix our eyes on him because he is the one that can truly satisfy. But we have to fix our eyes on him. I want to show you guys a picture. Check this picture out. There's so many things about this picture that I do not like. Let me go ahead and say this, as this picture is up here. Like, you know how you're never supposed to say never? I'm about to say never. Never ever will a brother, this brother right here, do that. Like, there is nothing about this. I, I have never had the inclination when I wake up in the morning to be like, you know what, today I'm going to put a tightrope up between these two really high skyscrapers and walk across. Nuh-uh, not this brother. But this guy, his name is Felipe. Felipe is a little cray-cray, if you ask me. <laughs> this is on August 7th, 1974, where Felipe, in the middle of the night, climbed up to the World Trade Center towers that were still under construction, and he put a tightrope between the two towers. I don't know how the brother did it, but somehow he did it. And then he began to walk across this tightrope. As you look at that, there's so many things that come to mind. For one, he probably should have been hugged more as a child. But secondly, <laughs> secondly, I go, how do you do that? Because the wind's blowing. If you've ever been to New York, there's these things called pigeons that aren't scared of anything. There are people below. There's construction going on on top. How are you able to navigate this? And someone asked Felipe, they're like, Felipe, why, how did you do this? And he said, well, I didn't fix my eyes on the distractions or what was below. I fixed my eyes on the end point. And I knew that if I kept my eyes fixed on the end point, that I would be able to make it across. I think Felipe was on to something for our Christian life as well. If we fix our eyes on what satisfies, which is Jesus, we will get to where we need to be. And it's difficult because there are distractions. There are all kinds of things in this life that take our attention away from that fixed point of Jesus. And the other beautiful thing is we have been invited by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to fix our eyes on him. He is holy. He is just. And he says, you are invited to fix your eyes on me again and again and again because I truly satisfy. The question I have for you today that you need to ask yourself, I'm not going to ask you to answer this out loud, is this. What are you fixing your eyes on? What are you looking at and hoping that it will quench your thirst? Because whatever your eyes are fixed upon, your feet walk towards. What is it for you? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it an amount of money? Is it a car? Is it a pair of shoes? What is it? What is it that you are fixing and your feet are walking towards and you're going, if I could just have that, then everything would be all right. We're going to see, beginning in verse 2, is that the writer of Hebrews is going to do this amazing job of painting Moses in a beautiful picture and also just elevating Jesus. And why? What does that have to do with satisfaction? Even though these Israelites had this beautiful picture of this king, they had a glimpse of this king, 
they still ran to lesser things and tried to have those lesser things satisfy them. And I want you to understand, like the writer of Hebrews is doing something very, very bold. Because the Jewish people held Moses in a really high regard. And so the writer of Hebrews has to be careful. Because as they're writing this, there are people that would be like, are you trying to talk bad about Moses? Because I will cut you. And it reminds me of this. My brother, my older brother, who was two years older than me, he would get in a lot of fights in school. And the reason he would get in a lot of fights is he would say is because people would say this to him. He would be involved in exchanging of words and going back and forth with his friends and everything would be fun and jovial until someone uttered these words, your mama. Once they said your mama, he was punching them in the throat. And so time and time again, he would get in trouble. My parents would go to the principal's office. Tony would be sitting there and they would say, Tony, what happened? And they said, well, they called mom out her name, and I had to punch him. And I think about that because here's the deal. The people, these Jewish people held Moses in such a high regard, you had to be careful because they held that tightly to their chest because Moses did some amazing things in the kingdom of God, so you had to be careful. But remember, this is not devaluing Moses. This is just elevating Jesus. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, We are going to see who this Moses was and why our king is even better and what that means for satisfaction. Verse number two. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Talking about Jesus. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was a great glimpse, but he was not the king. Moses did great, but he did not build the house. Who built the house? Jesus did. Everything was made through him and by him and for him. And so Moses was a great glimpse of this king, but he was not the king. And so the writer of Hebrews is going, listen, Jesus is even greater. And maybe you might be sitting there, you might be thinking, okay, Why was Moses so great? What does that mean? How was this a glimpse? Well, I'll tell you. So Moses got to be the guy who went to the most powerful man in the world and said, hey, your workforce, the people that have been enslaved to you for lots and lots of years, it's time to let them go. He got to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And here's the crazy thing. Pharaoh did what any king would do in power. He said, no. And Moses said, okay. God don't play, but okay. And then after all kinds of things, frogs, boils, sea turning into blood, that's nasty, all kinds of stuff. Pharaoh eventually said, okay, I will let your people go only after the firstborn of everybody was gone. So Moses is responsible for leading this whole group of humanity to a promised land. And check this out. He didn't even know where they were going. People are like, Moses, where are we going? The promised land. Where is it? No idea. But the cool part was God led them. And eventually they found themselves at the Red Sea. And Moses is standing there at the Red Sea with all these people behind him going, I don't know. It's going to be good, though. I think. Here we go. 
And then added bonus, Pharaoh's like, uh-uh, I don't want to let y'all go. Mm-mm. You got to come back and get to work. So then all these people are looking at Moses. Hey, Moses, I mean, you brought us out of slavery, but um, we about to die out here in the desert. What's up? And then what does God do? If you don't know this story, it's one of the most incredible stories. He split the sea in two. They walk across on dry ground. They do a soul train line through the Red Sea, y'all. For some of you young people, you're like, what's a soul train? Oh, oh just stick with me, y'all. We're going to learn so much. Don Cornelius. Anyways, um, they do the soul train line through the Red Sea. And they're dancing and they're worshiping. And then Pharaoh and his army go through and God says, uh-uh, not today. And the sea crashes down on these people. Then he leads them and he gets the rules and the ordinances from God. He meets with God himself. He reflects the glory of God so much that he has to put a veil over his face so that he doesn't overwhelm the people. And if this all wasn't amazing enough, the Israelites saw this and they go, man, look at what God is doing. Look at what God is doing. Look at what God is doing. But Moses goes up the mountain for about three and a half minutes and then the Israelites go, he dead, y'all. He probably not coming back. They fixed their eyes on something that was lesser. They made a God out of gold. And they worshiped this God out of gold. They worshiped it. And they're going, satisfy me, satisfy me, satisfy me. See, they were trying to wring something out of that golden calf that would never be given to them. And I wonder for me, what am I trying to wring something out that I will never get? If you're familiar with this story, Moses comes off the mountain and loses his mind. He snatches every Israelite ball-headed, y'all. He just goes crazy. He's throwing tablets. It's all going down. Why? Because he's like, why would you go to lesser things when we have the king of kings? Why would you run to a dry well when you have a well that's a spring of life? Why would you do that? And the same question goes for us. Why would we do that? He's going, because listen, if you really tasted and saw that the Lord was good, you know that it truly satisfies. When you are satisfied by the king, you don't long for lesser things. When you have experienced the goodness of the king, nothing else compares to this. When you are satisfied by the king, you don't long for lesser things. Last week, I had the privilege of going to Utah. I got to work with a strategic church planner out there. His name is Ben. Y'all get to see, y'all get to hear from him this summer. He's a great guy doing a great work in Utah. And so Ben, being a good host, wanted to show me to all that Utah had to offer. He said, Nick, I want to take you to a cookie place called Ruby Snap. And I said, you know what, Ben? I want to be a good guest. <laughs> I will receive that. And here's the other thing you might not know, too, about Utah. It's where Crumble Cookie started. Oh, praise him. And so there was part of me, I'm going to be honest with you, there was part of me when Ben's talking about this ruby snap, I was like, listen, listen, I've experienced the crumble, and I'm just telling you, ruby snap is not going to be able to compare. Y'all, we walked into ruby snap, and it smelled like heaven. I don't know what heaven smells like, but probably like this. 
It was glorious. I promise you baby angels was in the back making cookies. I don't know. <laughs> don't write me an email. You're like, Nick, there's no, I get it. I'm just joking, okay? But I walked in there, and I was just like, oh, praise the Lamb. And some of you right now are thinking, aren't you type 1 diabetic? I am. Don't judge me, okay? <laughs> I had insulin, okay? Just back up off me. And so the people there were nice, y'all. They, they knew that their cookies were on point. They're like, hey, welcome, sir. We're so glad you're here. Would you like to try a cookie? What? Did you say try a cookie for free? Yeah. Bring on the cookies. And y'all, you know, I remember the cookies I had, which, you know, there was, I had a snickerdoodle. It was called a, a Snicker Junior. Um, it was the most glorious cinnamon cookie and sugar cookie. I'm still thinking about it right now. But, um... And then the other cookie I had was a lemon cookie that would make you slap your mama twice. It was so good. <laughs> and y'all, like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you something. Like, after I ate the Ruby Snap, if you would have come to me and said, hey, Nick, I've got this sleeve of Oreo cookies that you really can have. I'd be like, no. <laughs> Oreo cookies? Now, nothing is wrong with Oreos, but compared to Ruby Snap cookies, they're not even invited to the table. Or if you went, my other favorite cookie is Nutter Butters. If you said, Nick, I have a sleeve of Nutter Butters, I would go, you know what? I can't be satisfied by Nutter Butters anymore when I have tasted and seen that Ruby Snap is good. You might go, Nick, you really need to stop talking about cookies. But let me tell you, I'm not just talking about cookies. There have been moments, these authentic moments with the king where I go, man, you are good. Man, your grace is sufficient. Man, you love someone who was far from you. You chased me down to give me grace. You have clothed me in righteousness. You have redeemed me. You have called my name beloved. I'm no longer called by my sin. I'm telling you, that is satisfying. And when you taste of the goodness of the king, when you recognize who he is, when you recognize his love for you, when you recognize the grace that has been given on your behalf, Nothing else satisfies. You'll see everything else as secondary in JV when it comes to the Lord, the, when it comes to the Lord and the goodness of the king. Everything else is secondary. And there are moments we forget that when we're not fixing our eyes on that, but I'm just telling you, once you have been satisfied by the king, you don't long for lesser things. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, we're almost finished. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. Listen to that. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. See, the Israelites looked to lesser things to satisfy, and they learned the very hard way that those lesser things don't satisfy. Many of us in this room and online have tasted of lesser things and have tried to get it to satisfy, but we have learned it's like drinking salt water. It gives the appearance of satisfaction, but actually makes you worse. We are a people that have been made to only be satisfied by the king. Moses was pointing to this truth, and he was reminding everyone that there is a greater king coming. And he is the one 
that can only satisfy. And as great as Moses was, Jesus is far greater. He is the only thing that satisfies. Last point is this. The sun satisfies if we are willing to drink. The sun satisfies if we are willing to drink. My youngest, he is six years old. His name is Nash. I talk about him a good bit because he is fun. Yesterday, we went to a soccer clinic, and it was fun watching a six-year-old learn how to play soccer, y'all. It was good for my soul. And what I love about my six-year-old, and I love about my older two as well when they were this age, like there are times when we have to cross something like a parking lot or a street where he'll hold on tightly to my hand. And so when he holds on tightly to my hand, he is holding on to his father's hand and he is able to navigate whatever obstacle is going to come his way. Why? Because he is holding on tightly to his father's hand. And as I think about me and my son, Nash, walking across the street or a parking lot together, hand in hand, it's amazing how he just trusts where I am leading him because I'm his father. It's almost as if he recognizes that as long as his father is there, no matter what distractions, no matter what may come our way, we're going to be okay. So when the writer of Hebrews refers to holding firmly to our confidence, that's for us holding on firmly to what truly satisfies. And yes, there will be distractions, and yes, there will be hard things, but if we keep going to the well that never runs dry, we will be satisfied. But there is a reaction. There is a step we have to take. We have to be willing to drink of the well. See, God in his goodness is not going to force you to drink. He's not going to make you drink from the well that never runs dry. He will allow you to chase the lesser things. He will allow you to go run and drink of the salt water that never satisfied. In my context, he will allow you to drink the Powerade. But the truth of the matter, you are invited to drink from the well. And if you are honest with yourself, you will have to say that those lesser things don't really satisfy. But yet, how often do we keep running to the same broken well to get satisfied, and then we're surprised that it doesn't satisfy? See, the dictionary calls that insanity. When you run back to the same thing, expecting a different outcome, but yet you keep getting the same outcome, but yet you keep running back to the same things, that is called insanity, everybody. And you might be going, Nick, are you calling me insane? Maybe. But I'm also calling myself that way. Can I just tell you, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and he really is the only thing that satisfies. Being reminded that I have a king who loves me, who stepped out of glory to pursue me and surrender his life, paying a debt that I could not pay, and then being resurrected from the grave, showing me that I can overcome death And the grave through him, that satisfies. Why? Because he has paid my ultimate debt and provided my ultimate need. Jesus truly is the only thing that satisfies. But we have to be willing to drink. If you would, right where you are, I want you to bow your heads. Maybe in this moment, 
you recognize either online or in this place that you have been drinking from a well that does not satisfy but is actually costing you more. Maybe today is the day where you drink from the living well for the first time. And if that's you right here in this place, in this space, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to the well that never runs dry, and that's the well of the King Jesus. If you could say something like this, dear Jesus, I do not understand it all, but nobody does. But the best way I know how, I say yes to your living water that was offered to me through your death on a cross, paying a debt I could not pay. And then your resurrection from the grave showing me that through you, I can overcome sin and death. And so Jesus, I say yes. If you said something like that to Jesus on the authority of his word, not Nick's opinion, it says that you will be saved. Another way to say that is you have drinking from the well. You are now full and satisfied by the king. Maybe you're in this place and you go, Nick, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and I have been satisfied by him, but I am running to lesser things to be satisfied. Maybe today is the day where you have a change of mind. The Bible calls it repentance. Where you go, you know what? I have learned and seen that that's not going to satisfy Jesus. Just give me more of you. Whatever the Lord is doing, however he is at work in your life today, pay attention to that and take your next best step. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you would pursue your people to quench our thirst. Thank you that you are enough. Thank you that you are a well of living water. Thank you that you lead us back to what we were intended to be. And so, Father, may we drink well of you. And may we know that true satisfaction only comes through the water of the king. And so, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen.